You can open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 32, if you would, please. Numbers 32, thank you for the good singing this morning. You know, that's a real encouragement, amen, amen. to have everybody together and sing. And I, I certainly hope that you meant what you were singing. Onward, Christian soldiers. Now listen to this next part. Marching as to war. Do you know what that war is? There's a reason that men of yesteryear, women of yesteryear, wrote songs like this. Because the church of God, as God's mighty army, they were fighting this spiritual battle. And this most certainly ties into what we're going to talk about this morning in Numbers chapter 32. We're going to begin by reading just a handful of verses. Verses 20 down to 23. Numbers 32, verses 20 to 23. I'm preaching to you this, uh, this morning a sermon called, Don't Be a Bummer. <laughs> I, uh, I assume everybody is familiar with that word, bummer. Is that a word just of my generation? I'm getting no reaction from you guys whatsoever. It's as if you've never heard that word before. Is that an Americanism? Have you heard the word bummer? It's a Texanism. Well, then everybody needs to learn it. <laughs> if this is a Texas thing, you know, everything's bigger and better in Texas. Amen. Even the bummers. <laughs> Don't be a bummer. A bummer is something that is annoying or frustrating. It's something that gets you down. Something that gets you down. Uh, for some people, a rainy day is a bummer. Not me. I love rainy days. That's when I'm at my best. That's probably because one side of my family is British, amen, <laughs> that's, that's my native weather. But there are certain things that it happens to all of us, right? You get bad news, and sometimes if you grew up in my day and age, you say, man, that's a bummer. And there are certain things that happens within the church that are frustrating, that are annoying, that act as stumbling blocks. They are discouragements. And that's why I want to preach this sermon today, Don't Be a Bummer. On your outline, underneath the text that we're about to read, I've posed this question, how can we avoid being a discouragement to others, specifically within the body of Christ? Numbers 32, verse 20, Moses said unto them, he is speaking to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half of the tribe of Manasseh, if ye will do this thing... If you will go armed before the Lord to war, and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord until he hath driven out his enemies from before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel." Do you see the two groups that they can be guiltless before? Before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. In this key verse, verse 23. But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. If you would please bow your heads with me. Let's ask God to help us. Father, thank you this morning for the good singing. Thank you for the folks that have made time to come out and worship you and uh, hear from your book. And, and Lord, we desire this morning for the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts, to shine a light on the things that we need to do better. Lord, we also look for encouragement from these words. And I pray that you would minister to us now. Please fill me with your spirit. Oh God, help me to preach, please. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Israel should have been in the promised land by this point. The plan of God was after redeeming them from Egypt. Now, you know that they came out of Egypt by the blood of a lamb. Right? That was the Passover. That blood was shed and put on the lintel, on the doorpost, and the angel passed over anybody that had that blood, and there was no death brought to that house, and out they came. As you heard last week from Brother Francois Carr, he made an excellent point of this. God brings us out of our spiritual Egypt, not simply so that we can wander through the wilderness of life, but to bring us into this predestined place, this 
promised land. What is this promised land for you and I? For the Israelites, it was a physical piece of ground. For you and I, that land of milk and honey, is a, it is the abundant life that Jesus spoke of. Do you remember when Jesus said, the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Do you see how it's not just get you out of Egypt and leave you in the wilderness, but get you into the promised land that flows, not drips, flows with milk and honey. The abundant life, unfortunately, has been twisted and perverted, the idea of it by many a folk. They say, well, this is God causing me to abound with temporal, earthly, physical blessings, good health, good wealth, and so forth. That's not the abundant life. Matter of fact, many times, that's the enemy of the abundant life. The abundant life that Jesus desires for every one of us to experience is a life that is filled with the fullness of God, a life wherein you grow closer to Him and get deeper and deeper in your relationship with Him and become more like His Son on a daily basis. That is the life that is going to fill you with fellowship with God and with each other, fill you with joy, and give you a peace that passes all understanding. This was one of the prayers of the Apostle Paul. For the Ephesian people in Ephesians 3, verse 19 and 20, you see it there. Now unto, the, unto God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. You guys familiar with that verse? Do you know what comes right before it? When Paul says God can do more than we can ask or think, what's he talking about? Can he pay your bills more than you ask or think? Well, yes, he can, but that's not the context. Can he make you healthy and heal your arm more than you? Yes, but that's not the context. In the verse before it, he says, I'm praying for you that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, you say that to any believer, you know the general response you get? Yeah, not me. Not me. I, I'm sure that applies to somebody else, but not me. My life's too frustrating. I got too many other things going on. I, I'm too much of a failure. God might manifest himself to other people and turn them into, if I can use a South Africanism, turn them into big Christians, but not me. I don't know what a big Christian is, other than an overweight Christian, but that's... <laughs> that, that big Christianism, that's for somebody else, but not for me. God can do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. Your relationship with God could be so much more than you can imagine. But in order to achieve that promised land spiritual experience, you're going to have to be armed and march to war. There's a decision that must be made. Listen, it's our job to get to the promised land, enjoy that relationship with God that God intended for us to have, but that's not all of it. Not only are we supposed to get there, we're supposed to help our brothers and sisters get there as well. And that's what our story is about today, the Reubenites the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh, as we're going to see, they made a few comments that sounded like, Moses, we're good on this side, Jordan, the east side. We've found some land that is perfect for us. We don't want to stay on the other side, Jordan. Our brothers and sisters, they can go in, but we're just going to stay here. And Moses gives them a very clear ultimatum. Guys, you have two options. You can suit up for battle, go fight, and then God will reward you with this inheritance. But if you don't, you should know that you've sinned against the Lord. So let's make clear what we're dealing with today. The battle. The battle for the promised land. The battle for this full relationship with God. Not just being saved, but walking with God, knowing Him on a deep, intimate level, so much so that you become more like Him. That battle consists of certain things. And I make no apologies for this list whatsoever, no matter how much you complain about it. This is the biblical list. It includes evangelism. It includes you telling your brothers and sisters, your friends, your coworkers, your fellow students, anybody that God brings across your path, 
when you have the opportunity telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. I say shame on a believer who shuts their mouth and doesn't try to tell somebody else how to get out of their spiritual Egypt. Bless God, if you know that the blood will save you from that death angel, how dare you not knock on the door of your neighbor and say, neighbor, I noticed you didn't have any blood on your door lentil. Uh, I'm afraid that tonight something bad's gonna happen. You better put some blood up. God have mercy if you've never done that. Evangelism, discipleship, trying to help other believers get established in the faith that they have. That is not, listen, that's not the responsibility of the pastor. It's not the responsibility of church leadership. It is the responsibility of every believer. And no one person can do the entire job of discipleship alone. I have something I will add to a believer's life, and so will you. We all have to pull our weight in that. Listen, when you go through the New Testament, I, I, I encourage you to do this study on your own. Look for the word together. Just look it up in the New Testament, the word together. You'll be shocked how many times it shows up. I'll tell you one thing that I noticed as I studied that word, the wicked certainly band together. The world has no problem getting together to fight against the Lord and his Christ. You'll find them working together to snuff out biblical truth. They form entire educational institutions to try to put down the faith. It is our job to stick together. As one place in the Bible says, we are to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Contend for the faith. That's part of the battle, to stand up for what the Bible says is right. That's not just my job, your job too. The Bible talks about comforting ourselves together. It talks about consoling each other together. It talks about striving together for the faith of the gospel. These are things that every member of the body of Christ should be armed and ready for that battle. Not that you have to do it all yourself, but to say, what role can I play? I should be a part of this army. I can't just hide in the back, hide behind everybody else holding the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. I, I've got to be ready, armed for the war. Evangelism, discipleship, comforting each other, exhorting each other. Listen to this one. Bearing each other's burdens. It, it's disheartening to find so many people, especially with technology being what it is, and you understand, I know that there are exceptional cases. Did I not note that in the announcements, that there are people that legitimately cannot attend a church service and no condemnation to that. But if you are an able-bodied person and you can attend and you choose rather to do it alone, to just I'll be at home and I'll take care of my Christianity by myself, then friend, let me ask you this. How are you going to achieve the obedience of Galatians 6 to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How can you do that if you're all by yourself? You cannot do it. It is something that requires a group. It is a group effort. Evangelism, discipleship, comforting each other, exhorting one another, bearing each other's burdens, contending for the faith, that's the battle. And it's not just let me do these things so that I can get into the promised land and have a better relationship with God, have peace and joy. I'm going to fight for my brother as well. I will participate in the battle that God has chosen for me. You don't need to make up your own battle. God has said this is a battle worth fighting. This is something worth getting involved in. Participate and be guiltless. Isn't that what we're reading here in verse 22 and 23? Verse 22, the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return and be guiltless. Participate and be guiltless. Stand at the judgment seat of Christ and the Lord says, you did your part. You did what you could. Well done, well done. You participated. If you don't, verse 23, but if you will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord. This is not that you failed to live up to a standard that the pastor created out of thin air. These are biblical standards. These are biblical obligations that we have. Things that Christ himself put forth. It says you've sinned against the Lord. You say, well, see, Brother Mike, the only one I'm disappointing is the Lord. No doubt you did disappoint the Lord. But as you saw in verse 23, you're guiltless before the Lord and before Israel. 
So what you're in danger of doing by, by not participating on a consistent, regular, faithful basis, you're disappointing the Lord and discouraging the brethren. You're disappointing the Lord and discouraging the brethren. I've given you a verse on your outline, the first verse that you can see there at the bottom, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 12. Paul is speaking about people that take advantage of their liberty in Christ. He says, but when ye sin, so against the brethren. Look at that. You sin against the brethren. What's he talking about? You did something that offended them, that caused them to stumble. You made them weak. You discouraged them. Instead of them uh, being impassioned to do something about their walk with God, you discourage them from that. He says, you've sinned against the brethren. You've wounded their weak conscience. Notice the end of it. Ye sin against Christ. It's a twofer. You sinned against the Lord, and at the same time, you've hurt and offended and discouraged those brethren. I'm going to walk you through this story, at least the first half of this chapter. Can I bring your attention back to verse number one, please? Verse number one. And if you're one of those that fill out the outline, let me give you point one. Point one, business before the battle. Business before the battle. Numbers chapter 32, verse 1. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. Now, if you jump to the end of the chapter, you do find that half of the tribe of Manasseh is also involved in this. But they are not mentioned in the first part simply because the other half of Manasseh are planning to go in and fight this battle already. So you don't see them mentioned as, as much, but they are part of this. So they had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. Those cities are located on the eastern side of the river Jordan. So for those of you that are not good with east and west, that's the right-hand side of river Jordan. And Israel was scheduled to march over Jordan River into the land of Canaan proper, if you want to call it that, the western side of the river Jordan, and possess that land. But Reuben Gad, half of Manasseh, said, man, this is really good land. Sure, that other land sounded great, but this is perfect for our cattle, and that's what we are. We're cattle farmers. We're cowboys. Yeehaw, exactly. Thank you, Pastor Zintley. Yeehaw. You know a Texan's got to slip that in anytime he can, Amen. Verse 2, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, Atareth and Debon and Jazer and Nimron, Heshbon, Elielah and Shebam and Nebo and beyond, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel, they'd already won those battles, is a land for cattle and thy servants have cattle. <laughs> what a happy coincidence. Verse 5, wherefore, said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, so let me ask you a favor, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession and bring us not over Jordan. They found themselves a really good job opportunity. They found the perfect place to settle down. Folks, let me ask you something. Do you think it's sinful to find a good job opportunity? No, in South Africa, that's nigh unto a miracle. <laughs> to find a piece of land that is safe, conducive, right, for your family, it'll help your family, it'll provide for your family for years to come, that is, that is a rare situation. That is not something you take lightly. Can I, can I stretch this out to apply to some other things? When you find that special someone that is actually going to not just be a good spouse, but a godly spouse. When you find someone that loves God more than they will ever love you, you want to hang on to that. That's not something you find all the time, right? That's not something you come across and go, oh, listen, I'm too busy serving God. I don't care about this stuff. Whoa, wait a minute. That might be God helping you right there. God might have been the one that provided that job opportunity, that good piece of land, that home that you can buy, that spouse you can marry. Let's, let's not pretend that these are bad things. They're not. They're not. 
The land on the east side of Jordan is a good land. They're right. This, it's a land that is good for business. The problem is this. Not that you found an opportunity for business. The problem, and what we're going to see Moses was concerned about, is somebody putting good business before the battle. Say, now that I have found this good opportunity, that, result, that, that, that re- alleviates me from my responsibilities of going to battle. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Can I ask you to turn in your Bibles to a few places? Can you turn to 1 Corinthians 7, please? I have tried to choose my words carefully this morning as I put the outline together. Point number one is business before the battle. That's the danger. Business before the battle. Business and battle, that's life. It's not as if you can choose, you have to choose between one or the other. You can do both as you're going to see today. But I want you to see from Paul's pen how we should view these opportunities. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 29, Paul says, But this I say, brethren, by the way, just to catch you up on this context, Paul is dealing with marriage and job opportunities just so you know, in the passage. So man, this is a perfect cross-reference. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. What a dangerous verse. Can you see how some ill-intentioned man might abuse that? (laughs) Honey, it's Friday night, and the Bible tells me, even though I'm married, to act like I'm not. (laughs) You better get some context with that, right? You better rightly divide. (laughs) He says the time is short. So we can't spend all of our time just on the business, just on the spouse. We can't get hung up on worldly affairs, these temporary parts of life. We have to remember that we only have a limited amount of time on this earth to serve the Lord. You only have a limited amount of time to walk by faith. Folks, have you ever thought about it? One day you'll never get to pray again. One day you'll never get to tell anybody about Jesus again. You'll never get to pull up next to somebody and say, you're going through a tough time, I'm here for you. Listen, as we sing, when we all get to heaven, right? When we all get to heaven, you'll never pray again or witness again or help anybody with their struggles. Never. That time will be gone. The time is short. Right now you have an opportunity to get armed for battle, put on the whole armor of God and march. He said, so those of you that have wives, listen, get balanced. If she becomes the focus of your existence, something's out of focus. Verse 30, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not. Why? Don't get stuck in that one part of life. If you're weeping, if you're having a bad day, call for help, get people to pray with you. If you need to sit down and take a break and catch your breath, that's understandable, but you can't stay there month after month, year after year. We need to make some progress. Verse 30, look at the last part. And they that buy as though they possessed not. Anything wrong with buying something? No. As long as it doesn't take away from the battle. When business comes before battle, something's wrong. And that's what Moses was concerned about. It sounded like Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh were putting business before battle. Look at verse 31. And they that use this world as not abusing it. Do you see the balance? Can you have a job? Sure. Can you have a wife? Sure. Can you enjoy life and rejoice? Sure. Are you going to have some bad days? Yes. That's part of being in this world. But... Remember, verse 31, the fashion of this world passeth away. These things are temporal. I've given you the verse on the bottom of your outline, but if you'd like to turn to it, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4. 2 Timothy 2 verse 4. Do you mind if we read verse 3 with it? Verse 3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier... Of Jesus Christ. So you understand Paul's thinking as he writes this. He's thinking about a soldier with the whole armor of God marching forth to war. And then he says in verse 4, No man that warreth 
entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Can you just look at the end of verse 4? Help me, help me understand it correctly. Has Jesus chosen you to be a soldier? That's what it says. He's chosen you to be a soldier. He brought you out of Egypt not just to wander in the wilderness, but to fight your way into the promised land. It takes effort to get to that deep relationship with God, that fullness of joy and fellowship and peace. It, it takes effort. And the warning is not to be entangled. You have to take care of the affairs of life. You have to work the job. And if you're married, you have to mind that relationship and spend time, and the kids as well, and all these things. It's okay that these things are in your life as long as they are not your life. Does that make sense? That, that, that seemed to fly right over everybody's head. Let's, let's dig into that a little bit because I want you to get this right. Let, let, let's, do, do we want to get on biblical ground here? We, we want to get this right with the Bible? When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. Colossians 3. When Christ, who is our life, is that Bible? Did I make that up? No, I didn't. I didn't make that up. When Christ, who is our life, Paul said, Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ. So when I say it's okay that those things are in your life as long as they are not your life, what is your life supposed to be? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There you go. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Where do I find it? I find it in Christ. It's not that Jesus says, okay, it's me or the other things. You can either have me or a wife, me or a job. It's not like that. It's as I have Christ, he allows me to have the job, the spouse, the land, the possessions. I can have that as long as I put them in their proper place and they do not distract me from the battle. As soon as I start making excuses week after week after week for why I'm not participating in the battle, then your Moses has a right to get concerned and say, listen, are you shirking your responsibilities? Are you being a bummer? You could very well be frustrating and discouraging those around you. Let's come back to Numbers chapter 32. You'll see at the end of verse 5, I think this is the real, this line, this phrase really got Moses' attention. At the end of verse 5, they said, bring us not over Jordan. Whoa. Okay, you got cattle. Great. You found land. Great. Good for you. Okay, yeah, but based on that, because I have this opportunity, do me a favor, Moses, just let us be over here. We've come far enough in our journey. We're just going to stay over here if that's okay. You can't expect Moses to be okay with that. As, as the God-ordained leader of this church in the wilderness, which, by the way, is what the Bible calls this, he is the first pastor of any church. So if you want to learn about local church, you come to the, you come to the Torah. <laughs> he's the first, not only the first church, he's the first megachurch. He, he had almost a million members, right? And you know what this church was filled with? Problems, complaining, gossip, fornication, idolatry, right? And Moses didn't turn a blind eye. He constantly had to say, what are you doing? As part of church. It's part of the battle. It's part of making our way into the promised land. Let's not pretend that it's not. It is. We don't give up on the battle. We expect Moses, when he hears something like this, to go, whoa, wait a minute. You mean to tell me you're putting business, not just before the battle, but in the place of the battle? Whoa, wait a minute. Moses took it that way. I wonder if Moses walked into your house and looked at your level of participation in the things of God. Listen, not just coming to church on Sunday. You understand there's much more to it. I did give you the list, right? Evangelism. That's not just coming to church, although that's part of it. But there's so much more. If Moses looked at your level of participation, not just today, but let's say over the last year or two or five, I wonder if Moses would have a reason to be concerned. 
I wonder if he would likewise respond the way he did with these folks. If he would say, whoa, wait a minute, guys, don't you know how you're affecting your brethren? Let's, let's take a look at what he said, verse 6. Moses said unto the children of God, or of Gad, sorry, and to the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? We can hear from that how Moses understood their request. When they said, don't bring us over, he says, you guys just want to sit around and let everybody else do the work? So point two, discouragement can be devastating. On your outline, discouragement can be devastating. Again, I've tried to choose my words carefully. Discouragement is not always devastating. You can overcome discouragement. You can still get the job done and even win the war. But discouragement can be devastating. When Moses heard the Reubenites, Gadites say that we're just going to stay here, his first thought is these guys might be lazy. Now, let me explain what I mean by lazy. Because you might automatically think this doesn't apply to me. I'm not a lazy person. There's different versions of lazy. These folks, Reubenites, Gadites, Manat, they were not industrially lazy. I don't know if industrially is a word. I just used it for the first time. They were not lazy in the industrial sense. Do you understand? They, they were hard workers. Farming cattle is not an easy job. Farming is not an easy job. That's a big job. So these guys were not lazy in that way. But maybe they were lazy in a spiritual sense. Maybe when it came to the things of God... They were not ready to put forth a genuine, zealous effort. And that's what caught Moses' attention here. When we read here that Moses, you can see verse 7, let's read that together. Wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them. Can you see Moses' concern? Moses is saying, no, wait a minute, you guys just want to sit here and let your brothers go over. How is this going to affect them? Why, wherefore, that's another way of saying why. Why are you discouraging the heart of your brethren? Before you jump maybe to a conclusion about Moses and say, you know, he's a doom and gloom kind of guy. He's just thinking the worst. He's jumping to the wrong conclusion. You have to understand Moses' background. For the last 40 years, he has pastored this megachurch in the wilderness. And it has been nonstop, one challenge after another. Can you you think of how many times his heart has been broken because these people disappointed him? How many times did he say, this is what God wants us to do, and those people went the complete opposite direction? After he brings them out, they saw God part the Red Sea. Just a few days later, Moses goes up on the mount to talk to God. And what did the people do? Make golden calves, strip their clothes, dance to the beat of the music. They're off into idolatry. Just like that. Moses has had his heart broken time and again. Listen, the people pushed Moses' buttons so often that this meekest man of all the earth finally said, I've had it up to here. Moms and dads, have you ever used that? I've had it up to here. Enough's enough. And God said, speak to the rock. And he took that rod and he said, bless God. And he cracked that rock. And he said, must we fetch you bunch of rebels the water out of this rock? He lost his temper. Why? Because, man, they just got on his nerves. (laughs) It was a broken heart. They kept breaking his heart and discouraging him and disappointing him. And he said, enough's enough. What happened as a result of Moses hitting the rock? God said, you're not going into the promised land. That was almost 40 years ago from the passage we're reading now. Moses has been walking around saying, you know what? These folks cost me my trip into the promised land. And it's not that he's holding a grudge or that he's bitter. Moses has the benefit as an 80 or 120-year-old man at this point, he has the benefit of life experience to say, I know how dangerous this attitude is. I know how this is going to affect people. And Moses cannot just think about the Reubenites, Gadites, and Manassites. He has to think about how their behavior is affecting everybody. 
Say, Pastor, what's wrong with me getting to do this and this? Well, nothing if you were the only people being affected. But no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. And, and, and Pastor Moses has to think about how is this going to affect everybody when they see two and a half tribes not coming out to battle. Take your Bible. I, I've given it to you in the outline. You can look there, but Hebrews 10, if you want to turn to it. Hebrews 10, verse 24. Moses has to consider everybody, the entire congregation. So you can't really blame Moses for how he reacts to this. I think he's being a careful and cautious leader. Hebrews 10 and verse 24. The book of Hebrews is dealing with people in the end times that are going to be tempted to quit the faith because there is going to be so much pressure to turn away from Christ. The author of Hebrews says these end times conditions are serious. We've got to hang on to what we have. And throughout the book, he gives, the, the author gives various pieces of advice that will keep you strong and prevent backsliding. Couldn't we use that? Amen. Let me ask again. Couldn't we, you, let me rephrase that. Couldn't you use that? <laughs> I could use that. <laughs> so verse 24, this is one of the things. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Notice the responsibility. Let us consider one another. It doesn't say, pastor, consider the congregation. Every member in the church, consider one another. Now, why do I say in the church? Look at verse 25. There's no full stop at the end of 24. It goes right into 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Biblical command to come together. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So the pastor has to be mindful. Moses has to be mindful of how is this going to affect the entire congregation. But, but we've got to go one step further. It's not just Moses that should be thinking that. Each person should be thinking, now wait a minute, my level of participation is going to affect someone. It's going to make a difference, good or bad. You have to consider that when you decide, well, I, I want to do this and spend my time like that. My weekends are mine. Yes, but are you strengthening or weakening your brothers and sisters in Christ? Come back, if you would, to Numbers chapter 32. Look with me at verse number 8. Moses is now going to give them a, a bit of a history lesson. He's going to tell them why he is reacting so vehemently to what they've said. Moses has experience in this. Verse 8, Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. Does everybody remember this? When the spies were sent out? Verse 9, for when they went up unto the valley of Eschol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time. And he swears, saying, surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Let's just get our, our heads wrapped around this so far. Moses is talking about what these people's daddies did. He said, your dads did this to you. The older generation, they had died off by this point. They were gone. And he said, now I'm worried that you guys are following in your father's footsteps. I'm worried that you have taken the same attitude towards the battle and the things of God that your dad had. I'm worried. He said, it's cost us 40 years in the wilderness. Now, how much longer are you going to cost us? He says in verse number 12, there were some exceptions to the rule, thank God for them, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, uh, yeah, Jephunneh the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. And behold, ye 
are risen up in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. For if ye turn away from after him, he will yet again leave them in the wilderness, and ye shall destroy all this people. Is this an overreaction? Moses has just spent 40 years proving that it's not. (laughs) For 40 years, he's wandered the wilderness watching that unbelieving, lukewarm generation die in the wilderness. And now when Moses sees that, uh uh-oh, we're going down that same path, hey, wait a minute, guys, this is serious. We've got to address this. We can't just let this go and say, I do what you want. If you found a good option, no problem. We'll we'll, we'll pick up your slack. Don't know. No, no. Moses said, this might cost us the whole thing again. We, We can't do this again. Let's just work the math for a moment. I I purposely have avoided working the math because I don't want to talk numbers. It's not because I don't like math. I like math. I just don't, I I don't want to get hung up on the numbers. The spies in the days of, of, of Numbers 13, when Moses sent the spies out, how many spies were sent out? 12. How many came back with a, with an evil report? 10. 10 out of 12. Two of them, we have them here, Caleb and Joshua, brought back a good report and said, yes, the land is great, and yes, the giants are tall. This is going to be a tough battle, but hey, we got the Lord. He'll never leave us nor forsake us, so we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. We can do this. The promised land is ours. We have the exceeding great and precious promises of God. We have all we need for life and godliness. Amen. That's New Testament. We got all we need. We can do this. It'll be tough, but we got it. Two of them, 10 of them said, you, those are the Anakims. Those children of Anak are huge. No way. We're like grasshoppers. Not going to happen. 10 out of 12. I don't know the numbers. Some of you mathematicians, some of you engineers, some of you accountants, you got that already. What is that, like 8%? 8% were, were, were ready to go? Say, so, yeah, we can do it. What is that, 92, 93% are left over saying, we can't do it. We can't do it. Now, it's hard to overcome that much discouragement. When 93% of the people that should be going to the battle are saying, nope, let's, let's not do it. Oh, how do you get yourself out of bed in the morning to say, okay, almost nobody's going to go with me, but I'm still going to fight. That's tough. Now, let's work the math here in our story. Twelve tribes. Two and a half of them have said, eh, bring us not over Jordan. We'll stay over here. We're good. We, we've got enough. That's just two and a half. That's not nearly as bad as ten out of twelve. That's just two and a half out of twelve. Shouldn't then Moses say, hey, this isn't so bad? Last time we tried to go into the land, ten out of twelve said not to do it. Now we just got two and a half out of twelve. No problem. Moses didn't think like that. He said, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop. As soon as we let two and a half feel okay with this attitude, it'll turn into 10 before you know it. You say, why is that? Because apathy is contagious. Indifference is contagious. Compromise is contagious. Lukewarmness is contagious. Years ago, a teacher gave a mathematical word problem. How many of you like word problems in math? Right? We got like two. Two out of what, 80? The odds are not in our favor here. <laughs> the teacher gave a, a word problem to the class, and she said, uh, class, the, teach, uh, the, uh, the farmer, the shepherd, had 100 sheep. And one sheep got out through the fence. How many sheep does the shepherd still have? And she pointed to little Johnny, and Johnny, Johnny said, he has none. He has none. And the teacher said, no, no, listen, listen. There were a hundred sheep, and one got out. Now how many's left? And he said, none. And the teacher said, Johnny, now you've got to explain. How, how do you figure that math? And she said, well, uh, Johnny said, my, my dad's a shepherd, and I know how sheep work. If one sheep gets out of the fence, 
all the sheep are going to follow him through the fence, so 100 minus 1 is going to be none. (laughs) You say, Brother Mike, can you prove that? Is that biblically true? Can you prove that math from the Bible? Absolutely. Absolutely. Romans 5 verse 12, doesn't it say sin entered the world by one man? And death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Adam went through the fence, and we all, like sheep, followed him. (laughs) That's biblical math. (laughs) That supersedes natural math. (laughs) Moses knew the dangers, regardless of the odds. He knew the dangers. I have no desire, and this is the reason I didn't want to put together a bunch of numbers but I do want to consider our own local church just for a moment. When you look at the the events, the activities, the outreaches, right? I don't expect anybody to be involved in every single one of them. I don't. And this is not an attempt to manipulate you through guilt to participate. The worst kind of participation is forced participation. I don't want to do that. That's not my intention today. I'm just trying to bring to your attention a very real problem, not just in our church, but within the body of Christ. But when you have 1% of the church showing up for evangelism, when you have 2% showing up for prayer meeting, when you have 3% showing up for small groups, when you, when you have that small of a percentage, can you still get the job done? Yes. You can have a Caleb and a Joshua attitude and say, I don't care who goes with me. Didn't we sing that today? Though none go with me, still I will follow. Hey, man, if no one else pitches up for church, if I'm just preaching to the chairs, I'll preach to the chairs. Maybe one of them will get saved. (laughs) The job still goes on. The only thing is, it might take a little bit longer to get the job done. You might cost us another 40 years of wandering around with frustration and discouragement. Whereas if everybody just pulls their weight and participates... Man, we might get to the promised land and enjoy it a lot more than than our fathers did. Was Moses overreacting? I don't think so. I don't think he was overreacting. However, I will say this, and this leads into the third point. Moses did not fully understand what the Reubenites, Gadites, and the Manassites were asking. So was he overreacting to say this is dangerous? No. No. But you're going to see that Moses did something very, very wise. He patiently listened to their explanation. So let's go on to the next part, verse 16. And this is number three on your outline. Initiative is inspiring. Initiative is inspiring. Verse 16, and they came near unto him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our cattle and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will go ready armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them unto their place and our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. Moses was right to be concerned, but he was also right to give these people a chance to explain. Don't just jump to the conclusion and assume, ah, you want to stay on that side? You must be lazy. You're a problem. You're the reason. He, he made it clear that it was a possibility but then was patient enough to at least investigate it and hear them out. Can I ask you to do the same thing? You come to church, you say, you know what? I've noticed that so-and-so and that person in this group, the church used to have more people, and where is everybody? Don't jump to conclusions. Say, well, they're all just lazy and abusing YouTube, and they're just watching it. No, not necessarily. Especially in this time of COVID, you just don't know. Somebody might have had... Some, something come up at work and somebody else got COVID and now they have to quarantine. You just don't know. So let's not jump to conclusions as to why certain people aren't participating. That's not going to help you. Amen. It's not going to help you. You know what you do? You have the attitude of Caleb and Joshua. Though none go with me, still I will follow. I will wholly follow the Lord, whether they're going to fight with me or not. I'm just going to keep pressing on. Are you discouraged? Well, Yes. But hey, let's just keep going on. But, but if you will give people a chance, you might find out they're not, they're not being a discouragement. What they're doing is actually very encouraging. Because even though they 
have a slightly different plan and, and their circumstance dictates that they have to do things a little different, they are still every bit as interested in the battle as you are. They just for that particular week or that particular month, they just couldn't be as involved as you would have been. Give them a chance to explain. I, when I had surgery a few weeks ago, the doctor brought me a note. And this is just standard procedure. Here's a note to take to your work so you can explain to your boss why you're not able to do the job that you once did, why you have to be out of work for a little while. I didn't even bring the note to you guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. If any of you need it, I, will. I think this is my note, right? This is my note. Now, that's a legitimate thing to do, is it not? Would any of you have surgery and then just lay out of work for two weeks without telling your boss why? Would you do that? Come on now, would you do that? You wouldn't do that because you'd be out of a job. Imagine if everybody at work just had that attitude, I'll go when I feel like going. And if I miss, I don't know that I'm an explanation. That's my business. Really? <laughs> That's not how it works. Now, d don't worry. We're not asking you to bring a doctor's note to church. <laughs> if, if you missed last Sunday, you don't owe us an explanation. Can I, can I just remind you of one thing? You do not have to tell us. You do not have to. May not be a bad idea to, but you do not have to explain yourselves to us. But you will one day explain yourself to God. When he asks, why have you never attempted to win a soul? Ever. Ever. That's a real question that one day you will ask. Why did you never, not once, Get together with somebody else to pray. Not one time in your life. Never. Say, Pastor, that's a tough question, man. You're making me feel bad. No, I'm not. You're making yourself feel bad because you never did it. I'm just pointing it out. Why have you never attended a discipleship class? Why do you consistently miss church? So I have my reasons. Good, okay. But just know that even though that is your business, it could be affecting people. And you might need to keep that in mind. Now, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, they, they thought about that. And they said, Moses, listen, we, we want all of Israel to know what's going on. We have made a plan. And this is the initiative. We've made a plan. We know that this battle is serious and it must be fought. So what we're going to do is organize our schedule so that we don't miss out on the battle. Am I preaching the Bible? Isn't that what they did? That's what they did. That's not me asking some uh, great thing, some uh, over and above, some extravagant. That's, that's the Bible right there. We'll make a plan so that our little ones and our cattle are safe while we're away, but we're going to go fight even though we're not going to inherit the land on the other side. We are happy to just keep this land, and listen, by so doing, it gives the nine and a half tribes more land to inherit. They are really thinking about their brothers and sisters here. We will not only go armed before them to battle, we'll help them get established in the land. We'll help them get established in the faith. But, and, and we'll stay over here so they have more room for it. That's initiative. That's not using business as an excuse to stay out of the battle. That's looking at business and family. Is that not what they did? Business and family to say, we know we got obligations, business and family, but that's not going to take away our, our, our responsibility from the battle. Verse number 18, we will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on yonder side, Jordan, or forward, because our inheritance has fallen to us on this side, Jordan, eastward. Notice they are not selling themselves short. It's not like they're saying, we're okay with where we're at with God. We don't need the fullness of God. That's not it. They said, we found our fullness right here. But now that we've found it, we, wanna, we want our brothers to find it. Now that I know how good it is to walk with God and experience His joy and His presence and His fullness and His peace, and I want everybody to have a taste of that. And I will put on the armor of God and prepare myself for battle and bear the burdens of whoever I can help so that they can also taste and see that the Lord is good. And even though I'm busy with other things in life, 
Those things are not my life. There's something more important than that. God has given us this opportunity. I'm not going to squander it. You know what they did? They, they did exactly what they said. They built the sheepfolds. They put up a tent for their family, and they marched onward to battle. As the story concludes, you can see it in the rest of the chapter and on into the book of Joshua, they did exactly what they said they would do, even though it took a little extra effort on their behalf, right? They had to build those sheepfolds and, things and leave the family behind to go fight. That took a little more initiative. You have that same opportunity. You can be an encouragement when people find out, man, this guy's got this going on and that going on, all these other things in life, and he has so many legitimate reasons to hang back, and yet he still finds a way, she still finds a way to be involved and to try to do something for God in the midst of all of life's entanglements. I look at that and go, wow, that's an overcomer. That's somebody who is really dedicated to the cause. And instead of a discouragement, that person becomes the fuel to my fire. Can I ask you to hold, or take your Bible to Luke chapter 14? I just want to close up over here. Can I point out something as you turn in your Bibles? Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, you know what they did not say? They didn't say, listen, we're going to set up shop over here on the east side of Jordan. We know that you guys are going to go to battle. Uh, send us an SMS if you need help, and we'll come. <laughs> they didn't say, put us on the waiting list. Did they? They did not try to set the terms of the battle. The battle is the Lord's. He's told us what to do. We will conform our lives to His plan instead of trying to force Him to conform to our plan. Luke chapter 14. Let's look quickly at verse number 15. And when one of them that sat at meat with him, with Jesus, heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Well, amen, that's true. But then Jesus goes forward. Then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. Forgive me for switching the metaphor here. We've been talking about a battle, now we're talking about a supper. You've got to admit a supper is much easier than a battle. Amen. It depends on who's cooking. Some suppers can be a battle. <laughs> it depends on who's cooking. But, but this is so much easier. Somebody made you a massive feast. Hello. Praise God. Say no more, I'm there. <laughs> you don't even have to tell me what time. I'm on my way. <laughs> he made a great supper and bade many, verse 17, and sent his servant at supper time to say unto them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. You're, you're about to go into the promised land. Here we go. Battle's ready. Let's go. Verse 18, and they, they all which, they all with one consent began to make, help me with the next word, Excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground. And I must, I must needs go and see it. Oh, I must. I have to. You know what I've found? I, I can't come to church, can't come to this, can't go to that. I can't study the Bible more. I can't read. I can't tell people about Christ. Why? I've got other things to do. I've got to do them. When are the things of God going to become a, a got-to thing? When are we going to develop that? When are we going to hear somebody say, listen, I, I got family in from out of town. I got a deadline at work, but I've got to go to church. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to have family devotions with my kids. I've got to have a prayer meeting with so-and-so because they're struggling. They may not be in the faith next week. I've got to do it. But this guy says, I must go to the to the land. I've, I've got to see it. Verse 18, he said, I bought a piece of ground. I must needs go see it. I pray thee, have me excused. He's very polite. I, I pray thee, have me excused. Sorry for that. Sorry. I don't know why I went British on that anyway. <laughs> Verse 19, and, and another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. You know what you have five yoke of oxen for? Ten oxen? Work. That, that's, a, that's an old-fashioned tractor. 
<laughs> it is, right? Five yoke of oxen, that's, that's a couple tractors. I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I got to test them and make sure that they work well. I got to start the tractor, make sure the engine works. I pray thee, have me excused. I got to work. I got possessions. I got land. I got a farm. Look at the next thing. Verse 20, another said, I have married a wife and he doesn't say, I pray thee, have me excused. He says, and therefore, <laughs> forget it, man. I can't come. She won't let me. I, I've always found that interesting. When I read this passage, I always laugh. I think, Jesus, man, you nailed it. The fact that he switched it a little bit. He was on to something, right? I thought about it recently. Why is it that we don't have more men Forget the gender politics for a moment. This is biblical. Why do we not have more men signing up for the full-time ministry? Now, there are, there's a list of reasons why that is, okay? It's not just one thing, but one thing on that list is their wives won't let them. Just thought I'd throw that in since we see this in the Bible. Why can't I get into the supper? Why can't I get involved in the battle? Got a wife, I can't. Can't do it. What if you were to say, I, I got a wife and, and I'm going to? I'll bring her along, she'll help me with it. Why, why can't we do that? Verse 21, so that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry. Uh, friends, help me here. Who is the master of the house in the parable? Who is the one that prepared the great supper? Jesus. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, that's even farther out, and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. If you're not going to participate in the battle, you've sinned against the Lord, and you don't get to come over into the promised land. You've got to stay here. Without, without. A possession. You don't get to inherit that land. You just got to stay on the other side. You see how it ties in? If I'm understanding this correctly, it is a massive offense to Jesus who has organized the supper slash battle for somebody to say, I got other things going on more important than what you planned for me. I pray thee have me excused. As polite as that is, and what's wrong with a piece of land? Nothing. What's wrong with five yoke of oxen? Nothing. What's wrong with a wife? It depends on who you marry. <laughs> There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But the master of the house still said, man, this is discouraging. This is disappointing. I've prepared it, and they don't want to make time for it. What about you today, friend? Are you a bummer? You can change that around. You can say, you know what, up until now I've been kind of slack, I've been kind of lukewarm. You know what, I'm going to shift things around in my schedule. I'm going to make time for this. The things of God are too important, and you, instead of a bummer, turn into a blessing. Instead of discouragement, you turn into an encouragement. All of a sudden, you start pitching up and, and willfully, joyfully getting involved. Wow, what a blessing that is to all the people around you helps them hang on to their faith in these dif difficult last days. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And as music plays, I won't keep you long. I just want you to think on this today. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you ask yourself this question, am I a bummer? More to the point, Am I discouraging people from the battle of God? I'm not asking you to get out of balance in your life. You understand that? I'm not asking you to get out of balance. I'm not asking you to ignore your wife, ignore your job, ignore your... I'm not asking that. That's not biblical. That's not right. I'm asking you to put things in their proper priority. I'm asking you to stop ignoring the battle of God. Stop making excuses. Are you a bummer? Do we get to church and say, oh man, so-and-so's not here again. Man, that's a bummer. 
Man, I'm out on the street handing out tracts all by myself. Man, that's a bummer. Here I am at prayer meeting. There's three people. That's a bummer. I, could you do something about that? So I'm busy. So were the Reubenites. So were the Gadites. You can find a way. Father, thank you this morning. I've been challenged. I've been helped. I've been encouraged by what I've read in this, in this story. And Lord, just like those Reubenites and Gadites, I, I, we have so many people in this congregation that despite their busy lives, despite the, the, the struggles that they're challenged with, they make time. And Lord, they are such a blessing. Father, for those that maybe have just not taken it as seriously as they should, would you please wrap your hand around their heart today and squeeze ever so gently? Father, you've told us today, time is short. Before you know it, life has passed like a vapor. Please, God, might today be the day Whatever the need is, whether it's salvation or dedication, whatever it is, help us to rise to the challenge. Thank you, Father, for my brothers and sisters. Day after day, week after week, so many of them are such an encouragement. I'm comforted, I'm exhorted, I'm helped. I'm encouraged by them. Thank you for them. Help us, Lord, as a church to do a good job of bearing one another's burdens. Help us, Lord, to treat each other like we are, like we're family. Lord, please prepare our hearts for what, we'll, what, what we will hear later. We want to hear more from you today. Please have your hand upon us as we leave. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, folks. Thank you so much for your time and patience this morning. Six o'clock tonight, we do have live stream Bible school. We're going through the Gospel of John, chapter 3, so try to make time for that.